0: Welcome to the Yarokee Zero Games Podcast, Episode 22, 2013 in Review. So, it has been a little over two years since I lasted a proper RPG podcast. And... Not terribly thrilled about that, but a lot has been going on. A lot. Uh, as I mentioned previously, one of the big things is that throughout 2013, I decided to... I got this crazy idea in my head to take a section of the humor book I'm working on called... Uh, the book is called I Want to Be an Awesome Robot. There's a part of it called Today in Geek History, which has an entry for every single day of the calendar year. So I recorded a piece of audio for every day of the calendar year, and also a day I made up, and it was pretty insane. Uh, The book that it's a part of still isn't finished. That's uh, one of my many goals for 2014. There's still a decent amount left to do, but I've also written like 80,000 words of the book, so it's getting there. Uh, So, 2013 was a pretty big year for me. Uh, I've said it before, and uh, it still feels true, that I feel like I'm going to remember 2013 as kind of the year a lot of stuff really got properly started. One of the big milestones, non-gaming related, is I finally, finally got a car. I'd put it off for ages, and then I got my license, and then I put off buying a car. Not that the salary I have really makes buying a car like something that... Is easy to jump into financially, but uh, a friend of mine decided to move back to Michigan, so he sold me his car for cheap. Uh, so I now have a 1999 Dodge Neon, which isn't the greatest car, uh, but I like it, and it's a car. Although I do need, I do badly need to get the uh, rear suspension fixed so that it doesn't take every bump really harshly. Uh, But the more important thing is that, uh, the big glaring thing, is that uh, 2013 was the year in which there were two Kickstarters that I was involved in. Uh, The first one was for Channel A. Uh, I talked about Channel A before. Uh, Channel A is the anime pitch party game that I designed. Uh, the, The thing where you have pieces of anime titles on cards. You put them together into titles and you try to do a pitch to have the best one of the group to win points and repeat. And that was a game that came together really quickly. And I was able to talk uh, Chris slick I really should ask him one of these days if that's how his last name is pronounced. Anyway, uh, I talked to Chris, uh, you know, publisher of We Didn't Play Test This at All and Whack a Cat Girl and Innovation and so on, uh, into taking on Channel A. So Chris did a Kickstarter for it. It had its ups and downs, but it did raise the requisite ten thousand dollars. Just squeaked in on like the next to last day but it got funded um it would have come out even with even if it hadn't gotten funded but it was you know that was definitely the right note to start off with and so you know that was my that wound up being my first published game my first published like original game I should say and you know I, I've talked about it before that you know I'm I'm not much of a board game guy but you know I think that was the start of me getting a bit more into board games, and I've discovered that I really like like Dominion and uh, Dixit and a few others. Oh, Love Letter. Love Letter is a brilliant game. And uh, after making a game with you know 330 cards in Channel A, I really want to try making something with a very small number of cards. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, so Channel A hasn't been like a... a Huge success, but it's been you know doing reasonably well, and uh, you know there' been some you know the, the people who like it really like it. It's not for everyone, and I'll be the first to say that, but there's, there's been some pretty positive reviews, and apparently I've brought something into the world that people are having a lot of fun with, so I can't ask for all much more than that. Uh, right now, the artist who did the little TV characters is working on putting together a uh, little art book of those, so that's kind of cool. Although Chris from Asmati Games was the the one who ran the channel a Kickstarter, you know that that kind of wound up being for me a little bit of a practice run for doing next Kickstarter, which I was running myself for uh, Golden Sky Stories, and that was very stressful and it was a learning experience. And we're kind of getting out of the woods of the really difficult part now, but uh, you know it. You know I'm glad we did it, but. There were a few times during it that yeah, I was really badly stressing out and getting really anxious. Um uh, but you know, in the end we you know, we, we put the game we put the game up for the Kickstarter and it was ridiculously successful. It it got two thousand three hundred and fifty backers and uh, before fees and stuff, over eighty five thousand dollars raised. we were pretty sure that we could raise our bare minimum of 7,000 and maybe push that pass that a ways. And instead, like, you know, we blew through all of our stretch goals in a few days. And then we made up more stretch goals. And then we went through all of those, and then we kind of put the brakes on as far as stretch goals go because, yeah, we already had enough money that we didn't really need to worry about doing more stuff. Uh, And, you know... (laughs) from there i got to go through the process of producing the book so we had the layout mostly done uh, before the kickstarter even started but there was still a lot of stuff to do with you know talking to the printer to nail down details uh getting the covers done barcodes isbn's uh and we had to do some uh we had to get we wanted to put some of the bonus material from the scratch goals in print So we had to get those done before we started seriously going to print two, which made it all uh, take more time because that was kind of unavoidable. And I had to bug the Japanese designer to get us image files for some of the stuff. And also kind of at the last minute, we found out that uh, uh, the animals picture in in the towards the back of Golden Sky Stories, there's there's a section with different kinds of NPCs and each grouping of NPCs has an image that shows a bunch of the different ones. So like there's one for humans, it has, I think it's like five or six people in it, and there's one for animals. And the problem is the one for animals was at way too low resolution for the print book. And I talked to Kamiya, the original designer, and he couldn't find the high-res file for it. And so what we ended up doing was hiring an artist. Uh, his name is Honuel Ibardolaza, I believe. Uh, he, he he lives in the Philippines, and he's amazing. Uh, and he basically duplicated the image pretty much perfectly at high enough resolution and pretty much saved the day on that front. So, yeah. Uh, as I'm recording this, uh, the, the books have all been printed and uh, all except for the special hardcover books are now at the warehouse. Uh, we, what we ended up doing was, you know, because we had the 1,600 parcels that needed to be put together and shipped out to people, uh, we just could not handle that on our own. Uh, but we were we were sufficiently flush with cash that we didn't have to worry about getting too expensive, so we hired a, a fulfillment service. Uh, there's a few different ones out there, and, like, it's one of those things that's really useful if you need it and no one talks about, uh, but uh, in particular, we we're looking at a few options, and uh, I had gotten acquainted with Brad Talton from Level 99 Games, uh, Level 99 has been a, done a bunch of different things. I originally got acquainted with him because he's been working on a uh, iOS app for Made RPG. And I don't know when, you know, he's had all kinds of other projects, so I don't know when it, the Made RPG app is going to be done, but I, I am looking forward to the results when it finally does. Uh, but setting that aside, uh, Level 99, the big thing is that they have this uh, kind of meta setting called World of Indines they've done a bunch of games like Battlecon and they're currently they like they kickstarted one called Argent. So Brad pointed out to me, "Hey, we're starting up a fulfillment service." And so I got to be one of his first customers. He hasn't done full, a lot of he hasn't done fulfillment for other people, but he's done fulfillment for numerous kickstarters and is very highly regarded for his for how good of a job he does on it. So, you know, and I I feel pretty confident hiring him to do that. For Golden Sky Stories that also leaves us with uh we have a bunch of PDF only stuff that we need to finish up. We got uh, a Spanish designer named Rodrigo Garcia Carmona. And I hope I got that in the right order to write a couple of scenarios. And then uh, T.S. Louis Cart also wrote two more scenarios. And those have actually been edited and they're going to go into layout as soon as we get the illustrations done for them. Uh, but the big thing on my end is that I get to write two settings for Golden Sky Stories uh, Fairy Skies, which is. Uh, fairy Tales in, in an idyllic town in rural England, in the English countryside, and then Fantasy Friends, which takes place in a quiet town in a DD and d style fantasy world. And for both of those, I ended up writing up uh, each has six new character types, which is kind of insane, but I did it. Uh, fairy Skies basically introduced the Fae as a new grouping of character types, so you have, you know, pixies and elves and uh, gnomes and so on. And then for Fantasy Friends, what I basically did was I took the general framework for Mononoke from uh, the Golden Sky Stories supplement called Mononoke Koyake uh, and used that to do six write-ups for different group, groups of D&D monsters. So, for example, there's, one, there's a write-up for uh, Aberrations. And you can use that uh, just as, you know, in Mononoke Koyake, it has these really broad archetypes that you can kind of reskin a bit so like uh you can take the kappa uh if you don't know the kappa is a mythical japanese creature that it's like this kind of humanoid thing with like a a beak a turtle shell green skin webbed fingers and so on Uh, and you can use the write-up for it to make to make basically all sorts of aquatic creatures so if you wanted to make like a sea otter henge or like a mermaid you could do that uh, so, similarly, the aberration write up I did for Fantasy Friends can be a. Uh, the signature character is this sweet beholder girl, then Callie, which is short for Califrexalala Bell. I remembered that. Uh, and then you can also use it for stuff like a, a rust monster or a chimera or uh, any number of other things. Uh, and so far, they've both been pretty well received. Uh, for Fairy Skies, I got a lot of. I, I specifically asked for and got. A lot of feedback uh, because, you know, as I put it, I'm I'm more of an Anglophile than the average American and not just in a uh, watched a lot of Doctor Who kind of way. But, you know, I've never I've never been uh, to the other side of the Atlantic at all. So, uh, you know, there there were inevitably going to be some things that I got wrong. So I asked people for uh, feedback to help fix that. And boy, did I get it. And I'm still in the process of implementing those revisions uh that was how i learned that british pub names are actually really interesting and really cool and there's some names that are that get reused a lot but you know there's stuff like the red lion or whatever and then there's really weird ones like i remember there was one called like the jolly taxpayer uh and there were a few little uh, other thing, other details that i need to go in and fix but you know on the whole it, it was received pretty well uh Fantasy Friends, I just sent a draft out to backers a couple days ago, and so far the, the people who have commented on it really like it. Uh when I came up with the idea, it was basically I had my notebook out and we were talking about and me and my business partner Mike were talking about possible, you know, setting hacks to do. Uh and I just, you know, I was making a list and I was like, hey, we could do one that was like, you know, a, a peaceful village in a D&D kind of world. And uh, and I didn't really know where that was going to take me, but, uh, you know, I figured it would be interesting and it was, it was really, uh, like the, 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 thing about it is that, uh, you know, I have, I have this, I've ended up having kind of this complicated relationship with Dungeons and Dragons and I've blogged about it way too much. And, uh, even though I didn't really touch d d until, uh, until I was an adult, basically, uh... A lot of things in my, a lot of my output in gaming stuff is kind of a reaction to it. And Fantasy Friends was not, was no exception. Uh, And the the thing about D&D is that, you know, it's not necessarily as hack and slash as some people make it out to be. But it does present a very dangerous, unfriendly, violent world. You know, if you're not fighting and killing things, it's because it's more, it's not because... Combat isn't waiting to happen, it's because you're being clever and finding ways to get around having to fight things and you know in the research that I was doing for the for the fantasy friends you know going through monster manuals and other d and d books uh it was just you know there's so much stuff in d and d that just really wants to kill you, you know if you were reading the monster manual or like uh the the if you look at the the dungeon master's guide at the cursed items you would be forgiven for thinking that a DD is a game that just really hates the idea of your characters being alive you know as a result you know taking uh elements of it of the dnd type milieu and using them to make something that's nonviolent and deliberately heartwarming is really wonderfully subversive and it kind of you know it it's weird to try to think of it that way, like, you know, you look if you if you're really familiar with beholders from D&D, then the idea of one being friendly is just bizarre. But on the other hand, that bizarreness like, you know, it adds an extra punch when you do do it. And having them be friendly also like uh it, it invites you to it invites you to stop and think about things that D&D usually kind of lets you totally gloss over. You know, D and D is kind of a game where you, you play cell swords who you know go in and smash stuff and steal things, and it kind of avoids letting you. It avoids inviting you to think about the other creatures that are you're opposing all that much. So you get you get the classic uh, dilemma of you know what is a good aligned character supposed to do with baby orcs or whatever. And you know, on the flip side, you know, in Fantasy Friends, there's Callie, the Beholder Girl. And so, uh, in Golden Sky Stories, when you make a character type, you have a little, like, introductory thing where the character is basically answering a series of unspoken questions about things. So, uh, for Fantasy Friends, one of the topics I had each of them address is adventurers, and they say what they think of adventurers. And and what Callie says is, you know, they're scary, they come in and they steal stuff. Oh, but if any come, don't worry, I'll protect you. And that is still my favorite line from the entire book cuz it's so perfectly it puts you in her in her shoes when you would normally, you know, you would be the guy trying to kill the beholder or at the very least trying hoping not to be zapped by the beholder. Uh and you know, I did, there's some other interesting things in the book. Uh the the big thing is that I added magic items as an element. Uh the idea being that they can be a major story element that characters can get in trouble with just as you would put in, you know, a more mundane m- MacGuffin, like a soccer ball or whatever, or an NPC, like an animal or a local god or whatever, you could have magic items. And it's been really interesting trying to figure out those because, you know, in, in D&D there's a lot of magic items, but there's a lot that are... It's, it's hard to come up with magic items out of D&D that, you know, aren't aren't for combat, that do interesting things and potentially have drawbacks that aren't completely terrible. Uh, so I... One of the things I did was I got a hold of, uh, for a and second edition, they came out with a series of books called uh, Encyclopedia Magica. And Encyclopedia Magica is kind of ridiculous just because, like, they decided to make a collection of every magic item from D&D up until then. And the result is four books that are 400 pages each. And I think they would, I've only gotten through the first one, uh, and that had, like, 1,400 magic items. So you're talking about close to 6,000 in all. But the good thing about that is it includes all of the really weird random ones that they wouldn't normally put into, you know, a core rulebook. Which is how I got the idea for, like, you know, a, a, a magical teddy bear that protects you while you sleep, uh, which I gave a drawback that, you know, in the, in the Golden Sky Stories version, I gave it a drawback, basically, that you don't want to let it go. Because, it, it mad, you know, the idea is that some sorceress made it for her daughter and gave it to her, and it has, it like, a little, a minor magical compulsion to hold on to it so that she'll still have it with the protection when she's sleeping. It's very silly, but very cute, and yeah. Uh, so anyway, the point being, you know, the... It's going to take a little while before we can completely finish up all of the Golden Sky stories stuff, but we've got a good chunk of it done, and more importantly, we've got the pivotal... Uh, the part where we, we manufacture and ship out physical product is nearly done. And, you know, that's the part that has been took the most work and has been causing me the most stress. So I will be really glad when it's all over. Uh, but, you know, there's still a bunch of PDF stuff that we need to finish. And one, of, and one of my goals for 2014 is to have that all completely taken care of. But we'll see. All right, well, anyway, uh, those were the two biggest things by far, but uh, there's still plenty of other things that went on. Um, Another one that kind of dovetailed from Golden Sky Stories is that uh, David J. uh, he's he's, amongst other things, he's a big poster on RPGNet, but uh, he started up a a publishing company called Penguin King Games, and their first uh, project is this this adorable uh, game called Costume Fairy Adventures. And uh, David approached me and asked me if I'd be interested in writing a playset for it. Uh, Playsets in Costume Fairy uh, Adventures—it's basically a scenario, but it's kind of like they call it a playset because it kind of veers towards being sort of a little like playground for the characters to run rampant over, more than a scenario that's meant to have necessarily have a story per se. Uh, So I've been working on one called Friday Nights, Nights with a K, because it's uh, where your little fairies get thrown into a house where there's a and d game going on, or Monsters and Manticores, as I call it in the in the silly parody. Costume Fairy Adventures uh, squeaked past its uh, funding goal and got to its first stretch goal, which is Friday nights. So now I need to kind of kick into high gear as I'm recording this to uh, get that done, and we're already uh, getting together, like, art specs and stuff. So that's really exciting. Uh, but anyway, uh, rewinding a bit... Uh, around January, I think I finished and self-published Yaruki Zero: Collected Thoughts on Role Playing Games. Uh, and the idea was basically that I took a bunch of the essays and I took a bunch of blog posts, uh, the better what I felt were the better ones, and then I ended up, you know, revising them hugely and adding a bunch of other material and stuff, and basically putting it into a book. It was about, I think, 120 pages in all, something like 60,000 words. It was very deliberately like a Vanity's publishing kind of thing, you know, and it was kind of aimed specifically at people who are already, you know, the, the few people who are already really big on my blog, and for whatever reason wanted to read more, and you know, it sold a few dozen copies, uh, paid for a few lunches, um, but more importantly, I mean, the 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 real practical goal of it was to learn how to do self publishing. So you know, I, I put it on Lulu and Create Space and Drive Through RPG. In And Kindle and so on, so it's in you know every ebook and it's in every ebook and print on demand format possible and there was a lot of flailing around trying to get all that done. I wrote a very long blog post about it, um, long story short, making ebooks in the regular not in PDF but in the regular ebook formats is a huge pain like it it's kind of amazing how bad they managed to make that process uh, but meanwhile. Uh, doing print on demand is surprisingly easy. Uh you it's basically a matter of, you know, you make a PDF of the interior of the book and you make a uh depending on the depending on the printing service either a PDF or like an image file of the cover that fits the specifications, upload it, have them print a test copy, approve it and it's up for sale. And this was also how I kind of discovered Amazon's CreateSpace service, which uh, not everyone likes Create Space, but I personally like it a lot. It gives you really good prices compared to other POD places, and it gets into the Amazon store, which means that, you know, uh, your people who buy it from you can get better shipping options, potentially, especially if they're Prime customers like I am. Uh, it's apparently not as good for international customers, even just in Canada, but having been a Kickstarter, I can tell you that at the moment like nothing's good for reaching international customers from the United States it's just a thing now and i don't really know what to do about it apart from being sure to offer digital stuff but yeah i'm thinking of doing you know i'm i'm thinking that's going to kind of be a uh regular thing that i do a, a series of yaruki zero books um but it's going to be you know two or three years between them so and I already know that I want what I want the cover of the second one to be because uh, the, the first one was a caricature of me like holding a oversized d20 looking and lamenting the second one wants to be me holding two six-siders snake eyes up in front of my eyes like a goofy idiot like I've done on occasion since I was like 12. Uh, I'm, I'm definitely gonna have a lot to write about you know running kickstarters and stuff like that uh so anyway on the uh made rpg front Early last year, or no, late twenty twelve, I hit on the idea of doing a made RPG derived game. Uh, you know, take the take the basic rules and use them to to make a new game that's about something besides made. And that's I hit on the idea of what's become a game called Retail Magic, where you play it's kind of a zany comedy, but it's about employees at a magic item shop. People were very quick to uh, compare it to Resteteer which before I started working on Retail Magic I had never played, although my friend Grant gave me a copy on Steam. Uh, but my concept for Retail Magic before that was it's an idea that I've been had kicking around for years and years was are you being served meat Slayers? And, and I don't think the overlap between the people who get those, both of those references is very big, but whatever. I've gotten a good chunk of the game written, but there's a lot left to write, especially since I set myself kind of a lot of really big tasks with filling in huge tables, you know, stuff like I want to make a D666 item table for that one, which means I need to, to come up with 216 items, which is going to be interesting. Um, and that, that's still something I want to do. It's it's going to take some time and uh, time that I don't really have right now. Um, but towards the end of the year, another interesting thing happened with made RPG, which was that, uh, Uh, When you know when we published Made RPG back in two thousand eight, you know I was basically I had no idea what I was doing and no money, so I went to Andy K and he was like and said you know I'd like to do this thing, but I have no idea what I'm doing. Can you help? And he ended up kind of being the, as he put it, the producer, and so he handled the business side of things, and I was the translator. Um, But now you know I have uh, along with my business partner Mike Stevens, uh, Starline Publishing started up, and Andy is moving to Japan and. You know, made RPG just looks really weird alongside uh, Tenra Bancho Zero and Ryutama. so he offered to let me take over publishing it, and we decided to take him up on it. So you know, that uh, we we had the changeover basically at the beginning of 2014. So right now we're in the early stages of getting all that set up. So you know, on Indie Press Revolution, it's already listed under Starland Publishing, and I've been in the process of setting up some stuff. Like it's on Drive Through RPG right now, and I'm I want to get some uh have it available print-on-demand and a few other things. It, it's definitely going to be a long-tail project, or long-tail product, but uh, you know, doing new stuff with it is a possibility. Before Made RPG was even out, I had the idea to do a a uh, collection of original material that at the time I had called Made RPG 120%. And another thing I want to do at some point is make kind of a mini-rule book, um, but we'll see how that goes. Because, you know, we have we have to finish up everything for Golden Sky Stories, and I have all these original games I want to work on. And anything we publish, we still have to, you know, figure out art and figure out and, have, and get someone to do layout and on and on and on. So, yeah. So I, I'm definitely not making any promises on that. But, you know, the more people express interest and give us some idea what they really want, the more likely we are to try to pursue it. Uh, let's see. Magical Burst. 2013 was not a good year for making progress on Magical Burst at all. Um, I I kind of got a clearer idea what I do want to do with it, but I I still have to kind of buckle down and actually implement that. And that's one of my big goals for 2014, at least after I get more of the Golden Sky story stuff out of the way. I mentioned in a blog post, but, uh, I was very lucky to be able to see the third Madoka Magica movie in theaters. Uh, they, they did a series of three movies. The first two were basically retellings, very largely unmodified retellings of the TV series. They basically upped the animation even more, and like the, there were a handful of scenes that they took a little bit of a different approach visually, but they were basically the same. Uh, whereas the third movie they was the first time they told a completely original story with those characters in the anime and Madoka is a hard series to talk about without giving, to even explain the concept adequately without giving spoilers, and plus there's a lot of people who are going to want to see it, so I'm not going to talk about it too much. Uh, Just to say that, you know, it got me thinking about Magical Burst again and also inspired me to start watching other Magical Girl series, which in turn, you know, uh, indirectly and weirdly, it uh, helps me kind of step away from... Having Madoka Magica be quite so overwhelming of a uh, influence on Magical Burst, which I think will be good for the game in the long term. Although I do have, it, it, although looking at these other Magical Girl series, I have these ideas that it's like, yeah, I can't use this right now. I'm gonna make a companion book or something with some variant rules or something. But yeah, uh, let's see. Let's bump through some other little pro- minor projects. Uh, one, as I hit on this idea for a game called Beyond Otaku Dreams uh it's uh there's a premise that i've been wanting to do something with for ages and ages and it's kind of like i finally hit on the right inspiration for how to approach it um and basically it's the thing that i wanted to do like something where it's like you know it's about anime fans who are kind of seeing into this other layer of reality where the the stuff that they they're obsessed with from anime has a kind of reality uh this sort of into this dream and it didn't really come together until I, I you know, I was in an Anime Con. I kind of, it, it occurred to me that, you know, the, the thing about narratives, about, like, fandom, about conventions and stuff, is that they, they, they tend to go to extremes of either really idealizing fans or just, like, acting like they're human garbage. And, you know, to me, neither one is, neither one is remotely true to reality uh you know the f- fans are can be really amazing and awesome and you know create things and so on or and they can also be you know terrible people and uh more importantly they can be people who have hu- very human problems you know I, and not in any of these stories but in real life you know I've seen every corner of human emotion at anime cons i've seen people crying their eyes out and you know totally overjoyed in anything in between and so you know, I want to make this game that kind of tells that kind of story that, you know, you you, you play a group of uh, anime fans who are going to this big anime con and anticipating it and things get totally out of hand and this dream stuff happens. And so I wrote a first draft and playtested it and it totally crashed and burned and I needed to step away from it and come back to I'm going to come back to it later to try to pick up the pieces, but yeah. Um, another thing that worth talking about is uh so uh you know I think it was last year or 2012, like uh the Evil Hat guys did their Kickstarter for Fate Core, and it was a ridiculous smash hit success. And you know, I had pledged just like at the $10 PDF level and hadn't really thought much about it. Um but what really inspired me to take another look at it was uh Fate Accelerated Edition. Uh, so the the thing with Fate is that you know it has tended to for whatever reason like it's a system with a really simple core ideas that can fit on like one page and then for some reason every fate-based game was like this giant 300 to 500 page brick and it's kind of like to me you know there, there's this really slick simple rules light game lurking somewhere inside fate and you know that was you know and I, I when i made my game adventures of the space patrol i tried to kind of pare down fate to what i felt were the bare essentials of it um and then they came out with Fate Accelerated Edition, and I realized they had done what I wanted to do with it, and much more smoothly and more refined. So, uh, I already made a new version of Adventures of the Space Patrol that, you know, uses big chunks of uh, Fate Accelerated Edition, since it's, you know, OGL and Creative Commons. Uh, and that was how I found that, uh, amongst other things, Fate is actually, they have managed to make it really developer-friendly. You know, they... they They, they provide a full, uh, system SRD is a system reference document. Um, and also they, uh, did stuff like, uh, they provided a, a font with the icons they use and things like that. Uh, and since then I've been in the process of, uh, reading Core and some of the books for it, like the system toolkit and so on. Uh, and one thing I did that was, uh, messing around that I need to really do something more with at some point is, uh. I got the Star Wars Edge of the Empire beginner game. Fantasy Flight got the license for the Star Wars RPG and put out a new one. And they used uh, like funny dice again, like they kind of like they did in Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay Third Edition. But it shows a lot of refinement, and you know they they pulled back a lot on the. The number of components they use, which is good, because it was kind of ridiculous and over the top. You know, I, I'm really fascinated by the idea of using board game components in an RPG, but they really did overdo it with Warhammer. I think, not that it's a bad game, but yeah. But so what I what I've been thinking about for a while now is making a set of generic dice along those lines. You know, because the you know the the Star Wars dice, uh, you know, they have special Star Wars symbols, and the Warhammer ones have you know, hammers representing successes and the star of Sigmar and so on. Um, a comet of Sigmar? Anyway, um, so I wanted to make a generic one. So I came up with a thing I called Destiny Dice. And due to limitations and so on, I, I basically, I designed them around something that I could get made through the Game Crafter, which means basically getting blank dice and stickers in, dif- in particular colors. So, you know, this is set with six different kinds of dice, not unlike the Edge of the Empire set, um and you know i haven't had a chance to test it yet um but i did get a set of dice made although it took me like an hour to put on all the stickers to be honest i wrote up a set of rules for using it with fate accelerated because that was both a, both a system that i think will be fun to play regardless and uh and it was an open license and it seemed like i it seemed to, that's something that something i could make mesh well with it so yeah uh we'll see how that goes Uh, The other thing with Fate is just that I have this crazy idea to make, like... Because for Fate, uh, Evil Hat put out uh, two volumes of uh, Fate Worlds, which is like an anthology of uh, settings using the Fate system for all sorts of different things. They come in huge variety. There's like Firefighters and like Arthurian Mecha and a bunch of other things. Uh, So my thought was to do like an anthology of anime-inspired stuff or Japanese-inspired stuff. And that's like... Know, so far in the future and that I, I barely want to think about it right now and as soon as i posted about it people were like are you going to take submissions and it's like well possibly it's it's far enough in the future that it's hard to tell and i have so many neat ideas for anime inspired things from you know a, a decade or more that i could probably fill up the whole book myself but on the other hand that would be a lot of work um uh, but uh, you know i want to do stuff like uh Full Metal President, inspired by Metal Wolf Chaos, where you you have the president and his cabinet getting in their power suits to fight for America or something, um, and a bunch of others. Anyway, uh, so what else? Uh, I think it's worth mentioning that 2013 was a pretty great year for uh, Japanese RPGs coming to the West. Obviously, you know, Golden Sky Stories. Um, I believe it was in 2013 that Tenra Bansho Zero went out to people. Um they just sent out a a bare bones draft, but uh, Ryutama had its Kickstarter, and also uh, totally out of nowhere, caught us by surprise. Uh, very blue Amusement put out uh, Double Cross. And Double Cross is a really fascinating game. Uh, it's sort of like uh, Japanese X Men in the sense that you know it's about young people who have weird powers from this infection, and it has some really interesting rules about their relationships and stuff. Um, you know that was one of the games that. Just, we were eyeing to possibly license actually me and Andy both. And we're talking about, Oh, well, if you, you know, if you really want it and you're ready, then you go ahead and I won't get it kind of thing. And then like out of nowhere, we heard from this guy and yeah, he's got the full game out and most more recently put out the advanced players guide. So more power to him. Um, Actually, I met him in person uh, and he's a pretty cool guy and it's really neat to see, you know, that we're not the only ones and we we're, we're not all in this little clique even though we've kind of naturally come together over this shared interest um there's also uh a, a guy I know through the something awful forums um who uh goes by facts he is heading up a team that is going to be doing an english version of make you kingdom that's probably going to take a while uh it's uh, there's a lot to translate and so on and uh, um but you know it's looking really cool that that game is going to come out. That's another one that we were ho- we were seriously considering licensing, but on the other hand, it was something that I wasn't necessarily looking forward to the sheer amount of work that would go into publishing it. So I hope that it comes out soon, because it is a really amazing game, and I really want more people to be able to try it. Uh, 2013 also wound up being another year where D&D wasn't being actively published, which is really weird, but I, I don't even know what to... Think or say about that, but um, anyway, it also wasn't a great year for me for getting in actual gaming. Some, but not nearly as much as I would like. Uh, my I I generally have two game groups. Uh, one was basically turned into the D and D group. We played the heck out of four E, and just we kind of fell off the wagon for that. We've been trying to to get back into it, but it's been really hard to schedule games. And then the other group, uh, the the Hippie indie group or whatever you want to call it. We played we played a bit. We played some uh, Golden Sky Stories. We that, that was the group that I tried out the Star Wars Edge of Empire game with. I don't know if it was in 2013 or 2012 that we did a good amount of playtesting of uh, Dragon World, my apocalypse world hack for 90s comedy fantasy anime. It also didn't help that the holiday season wound up being unusually disruptive and a bunch of my friends were out of town and stuff. So hopefully we'll be getting back into proper gaming soon and which is a, which is good because one I want to game more and two I'm gonna have a ton of things that I need to play test so then I'm gonna be harassing people about that soon anyway that rather messily sums up my 2013 so I'm gonna call a halt here and say what I usually say to sign off which is thank you for listening and I hope to be heard by you again soon